Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter Guys, the shows with the lines between freight, finance, and tech are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, Senior Retail Analyst here at Freight Waves. I'm alongside the economist Anthony Smith, who joined us last minute out of a market update. So busy man today. Thanks for joining us. We've also got another busy man that's going to join us, a Freight Waves expert, our air cargo uh, ex- extraordinaire, really, Eric Coolish. It is his birthday as well, so we're going to wish him a, a big birthday uh, when he gets on with us. We're going to be talking about Ningbo, what is going on there, how it is impacting both ocean and air capacity, uh, not only what's going on in Ningbo, but what's going on with COVID in China and in the Southeast Asian countries. And then we'll, we'll finish it off with a little discussion on Amazon Air's brand new facility, well, expansion to an already huge facility uh, that they have for their air cargo. So that's going to be great. And then Anthony and I are going to cover a swath of economic releases. We've got retail sales that came out this morning, industrial production as well. We've also got some labor data on warehousing that is pretty exciting. I think it's good news. We finally got employment growing again in warehousing after they've had some really struggles, uh, real big struggles trying to fulfill uh, jobs there. All right, let me take a moment to thank my sponsor, Emerge. This episode is brought to you by Emerge, the digital freight marketplace. While market volatility is affecting everyone, you need an RFP expert to navigate the uncertainty industry expertise and technology for your RFP event now and in the future. Emerge from the confusion by visiting git.emerge. I'm sorry, git.emergemarket.com slash GQG. That gets me every week. get.emergemarket.com slash GQG. All right, we've got uh, one chart of the day for you today, and it is kind of setting the stage for our conversation with Eric coming up. We'll go ahead and toss it on the board. These are, we're looking at air cargo rates in US dollars from uh, from Shanghai to the U.S., we're looking at the three the, t- this year and the two previous years. So in blue, you have 2021. In green, 2020. And in orange, 2019. Uh, the, I'm bringing this to you to, we're going to ask on his thoughts, kind of what are the potential for a $20 per kilogram air cargo rate? That's kind of been a whisper number that we could reach uh, should some of these mm, things taking capacity offline not get worked through and demand rise as they're expecting it to. And I just wanted to set the stage here. So in 2019, you can see flat as a board rates are pretty much unchanged. They're around $3. In 2020, we had this huge surge in the early days of the pandemic when demand uh, flew up, but they had you know, charged, stopped a lot of those passenger flights. This was before a lot of the uh, passenger flights were transitioned over to cargo flights. So capacity was really tight then. And prices peaked out at about $12.50 per kilogram. That was in May of last year. So we're going to ask Eric what his thoughts are. I'm touching that number again here in a moment, but I just wanted to kind of set the stage with some of our sonar data. So Andrew, real quick. Go for it. I also have a chart of the day. You do? I'm I sorry. Do. I do. I, 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 know, I don't want to take over the show and I don't want to jump off a different subject. But so for my chart of the day, we're going to look at what's going on with consumers right now and particularly credit cards. And so what we have here in this chart of the day is going to be consumer spending, or I should say consumer credit cards for road revolving credit. And so what we can see, of course, is that it's still at levels not seen since 2017. But if you look at that tail up and that acceleration, there's some upward momentum building there. And so I think if we continue to see this type of momentum for credit card usage, we could see pre-COVID levels, unfortunately, within the next 12 months. And one of the things that you mentioned in previous Great Quarter Guide episodes is those buy now, pay later uh, instances building up. And so I think that's going to be really kind of building up in these coming months here over the next year or so, in addition to credit card usage starting to kind of spike up a little bit. So I, I just kind of see this rising trend building up. I'm going to keep my eye on this. Yeah, I mean, that that uh, is going near parabolic yeah. um, right there. So taking on debt quickly, 
consumers are facing higher costs, but they also are feeling a little bit confident, right? We've yeah. been cash flush for the past year with stimulus checks uh, in a good place. Uh, the labor market is pushing forward. We're down to four, or down to 5.4% unemployment. Got way more jobs open than we even have total unemployed people. So there are some confidence there. All right, I've got one top story before we bring on Eric quickly. This is just on congestion. I mean, it continues to get worse. The California congestion is nearing a new high. And now we've got a gridlock on the East Coast getting worse. It's only mid-August. We're in the very early days of this peak shipping season. I'm sure Eric's going to have some thoughts on this, but the record for container ships anchored off California is already on the verge of being broken. Port congestion is also building on the East Coast with anchorage numbers off of Georgia, well into the double digits. And for the first time this year, a growing queue offshore in the port of New York and New Jersey is happening as well. So California congestion previously peaked back in the first quarter. On February 1st, the Marine Exchange of Southern California reported an all-time high of 40 container ships at anchor in the San Pedro Bay. The highest number of container ships in the entire port complex was 67 that was set on January 28th. On Friday, this past Friday, there were 125 ships of all types. That's including tankers and some cruise ships either at berth or at anchor in the port of LA Long Beach. That is a new record. The Q1 high was 113. And on Saturday, there were 68 ships of all types at anchor, yet another record there's, there were 66 container ships either at berth or in the complex uh, awaiting offshore. That's just one short of an all-time high. So the point is that as bad as it was earlier in the year, um, we're probably going to see it even worse uh, coming up in the, in the next couple months. And this situation in Ningbo, and the situation in Southeast Asia is only exasperating the problem. So I'm excited to bring on Eric Coolish. Eric, happy birthday, my man. What are you, about 27 years young today? <laughs> Something like that. I guess you guys did two two charts of the day in uh, honor of my birthday. <laughs> Doubling it up. That's right. Hey, and I've got to say, we're going to yeah. talk about Amazon Air here in a moment, but I've got to say, I'm kind of disappointed with Amazon. I was going to, we actually did buy these, you know, poppers with the confetti. We were going to have a whole celebration here on air for you, but Amazon didn't get them in in time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I apologize on behalf of them to you. <laughs> Great. That would have been fun. All right, Eric, we're going to play a real quick game called Buy or Sell. Very simple. Uh, I'm going to give you a statement or a rumor. This one actually was a statement that was from one of your articles. So you tell me whether you're buying or selling it or not. Real quick one. So uh, this is from James, oh man, Constantinitis. He's the director of air freight at United World uh, Line. He said, I would not be surprised to see rates climb past $13 a kilogram, possibly even hit $20 a kilogram if demand does not decline. Are you buying or selling that we might retest the recent highs or retest the highs from last year rather and maybe even on our way to $20 a kilogram? Eric? Yes, uh, I'm buying. Um, keep in mind that's on certain trade lanes, especially out of China or certain you know lanes to uh, North America out of certain airports. So it's not everywhere, but um, definitely buying that because of the capacity crunch. Got it. All right, let's, let's shift gears to Ningbo uh, going on right now. There was a, uh, there was a quote in one of your articles recently that said, if something goes sideways in Ningbo, it's going to be a real problem, at least as big potentially as what happened in Yantian. So the question is, has it gone sideways? Are there any updates to uh, that situation in Ningbo? Yeah, I do have some updates. So the good news is it does not look like it's um, going to be anywhere near Yantian, at least at this point. Things have, the, the impact's been relatively limited so far. Um, you know, the, one of the terminals in Ningbo, there's five terminals there, and one of them, uh, authorities closed it down last week because there was a single positive case of COVID, and they've been running tests since then. Um, so, um, you know, basically, there's been diversion of some 
some of the freight's been going to some of the other terminals at the port. Some ships have diverted to other ports. There's been a limited number of blank sailings, not as many as we originally anticipated. So maybe, you know, a few dozen uh, uh, blank sailings, but for the most part, that's not happening. And um, so this morning I saw a report from Project 44, a supply chain visibility platform, and they said nominal TU capacity in Ningbo is only down about 7.8%. So, you know, the impact's relatively uh, contained at the moment, and they haven't had any uh, further uh, outbreaks or, or any positive tests. They've done a, a second round of tests of all the workers. That's been clean. I think they're going to do a third round of testing. And so there's speculation that the terminal could open up as early as this weekend or Friday. Um, but I think that's only going to be a partial opening. It'll be phased in um, because they originally said September 6th is the opening. So maybe to get to a full reopening of that terminal, uh, we are still another week or so away, end of the month, but uh, things are at least heading in a positive direction. Eric, definitely good news that things are heading in a positive direction, but in, on your side, are you seeing carriers take any kind of action on a really broad stroke way? So are they um, you know, waiting it out? Are they looking to navigate this? So what are you seeing on a big picture that major carriers are doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, as I mentioned, there's they're mostly shifting some of the vessels to other regional, other ports in the area. There are about 41 vessels right now uh, waiting at anchor outside the port. So some are just waiting it out. I think the delays to get into the berth are about two to three days. So, you know, I think there's just some delays built in and, and some of the carriers are accepting that and some are diverting uh, ships. But um, I don't know that there's going to be huge ripple effects uh, throughout the global supply chain, uh, all those impacts are already, already baked in. But, you know, as you mentioned, the ports, the ships are already backing up even more in LA and Long Beach and in other parts of the world. So it, when, when the system's this stressed and this maxed out, it doesn't take much, um, much more of a disruption to kind of have compounding effects. Yeah, certainly. It's going to could cascade from here. We, we've been talking about this, you know, you can use whatever analogy you want, but it's a tightrope without the balance beam, any kind of one little push uh, without a safety net either. Uh, everything kind of cascades from there. Let's, let's shift gears to Air Cargo, your kind of specialty here, Eric. Let's talk about just the, the, the flights being canceled out of China, in and out of China. Talk to me about, um, you know, what the Chinese government is doing to restrict, uh, you know, people going into the, the airport, airports that's causing all these flights to be canceled. Just talk to me what it's doing to air capacity. Yeah, so I started picking up last week that um, several uh, carriers, uh, passenger carriers that are running passenger freighters, you know, while travel is down and also all cargo airlines canceling hundreds of flights at, in Shanghai and several other airports um, because of these COVID outbreaks. And as you know, in China, they are not... You know, they've got very little low tolerance for COVID cases. I mean, when they say there's an outbreak in China, it might be a few hundred cases in a city or, or in a region or province. You know, here in the U.S., we have, I think the daily case counts close to 130,000 a day and, and life is trying to get back to normal there. They have some cases and they, they pretty much shut down. So, um, there are several, you know, several airports, major airports have 
implemented different measures. Some have closed for a week or so. Others are, um, you know, testing the workers. Um, others are disinfecting or doing, taking other measures where, or limiting in, inbound shipments and so forth. So, um, you know, in response, because of the slow loading of, um, of the planes and unloading because of the limited number of, uh, workers, um, some of the airlines are, you know, canceling flights. For instance, in Shanghai, they're doing what I think is called a 777 program. You know, the workers, the ground workers have to, can work for seven days, uh, on airport property, uh, you know, processing the cargo. Then they have to go to a government hotel or facility and quarantine for seven days. And then they have to go home and quarantine for seven days. So that really shrinks the labor pool. And these airlines don't want to be caught waiting on the tarmac with, you know, with long delays because especially a lot of the foreign carriers have um, pilots that have hours of duty uh, limitations and they don't want to overnight in China where there's strict quarantine rules and then they have to, the pilots would be lost for up to two weeks and then they would be able to fly fluor planes. So they got to get in and get out and get to Tokyo or South Korea where they do their crew changes. So it complicates everything operationally. Yeah, I've actually found that uh, hilarious reading through your article, how they're trying to circumvent these quarantine rules. Because as you said, I mean, it takes them offline for two weeks. That's like one of the reasons that so many of these overnight um, flights have been canceled out of China. They just have having a shortage of pilots right now. And Eric, uh, talk to me a little bit about just I kind of wanted to ask you just for some context on this quote. There was one more quote from your article uh, from Neil Jones Shaw at Flexport. He said, I suspect we're coming into um, in a super peak market conditions here in the coming days. What what does that mean exactly? What do you when you hear super peak market conditions, um, what comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, as you know, as our viewers know, this is the traditional peak import season for the holidays. It's always ramps up right now with the volumes and um, whether it's ocean or air. And so um, the you know, but we've had because of all the COVID supply chain issues all year, it's been almost like a perpetual peak for the entire year. And now we're going into this season. And then we have this additional loss of capacity, um, which is already tight. You know, the market, because of the belly freight that's uh, with the passenger airlines, pretty much the international passenger carriers still being flying at very limited level levels. There's probably a 12 percent uh reduction in air cargo capacity and i'd wager air cargo capacity overall is probably down close to 15 percent and maybe even 20 percent and it's you know it's a little hard to gauge because different groups are using different metrics but the bottom line is that's the baseline of how much below we are 2019 or pre-pandemic levels and then you layer on top of it this you know huge amount of volume especially into north america and now you're taking out hundreds of flights potentially uh, over several weeks with these all cargo carriers canceling flights. China um, also restricting some of the overnight flights to North America and to Paris and Frankfurt until the end of August because of concerns about COVID. So, yeah, that, those are the reasons why he's talking about super peak. Yeah, it just seems that everything is kind of priced for perfection. Everything needs to go well. Uh, you can't have, you can't be taking capacity off when, we're, when demand is flying up. When do you think this could all kind of come to a head? I saw in the article, uh, one of the analysts had kind of thought about that 
Apple launch times that come in October, November, when they take a lot of the freighter capacity offline, moving their phones all over the world. What, you know, is that kind of when you think that this might all come to a head? I mean, it's already happening. I mean, rates, um, and again, uh, you know, I want to caveat it by saying these rates that we're talking about are on these heavy lanes from Shanghai to Chicago or, you know, some of these Chinese, big Chinese airports, Hong Kong to LA and, and so some of these big trade lanes. But, um, it's already happening. I think some of the rates are north of 10, $12 a kilo already. And, you know, some of my sources today are telling me the rates have, you know, gone up a lot in the last couple of days. So we're already seeing that and, you know, we're well on the way to potentially $15 a kilo and, and likely further. Um, you know, when you get to October, when Apple and some of these other companies launch their game consoles or phones and have their kind of traditional releases, but as you alluded to, those companies have so much clout and they suck up so much of the charter market. They just contract for planes and take the whole plane and that limits the availability for, you know, everyday uh, shippers. So that's, you know, that's where it could really escalate. Speaking of chartering planes, let's let's shift gears. We only got about three minutes here, Eric. Let's talk about Amazon Air, this new uh, expanded facility in you know northern or southern Ohio, northern Kentucky. Tell me a little bit about this facility. What's all entailed in it? Yeah, it's been in the works for several years. Uh, Amazon Air is the kind of the air logistics component of the massive Amazon you know logistics enterprise, and you know they've been rapidly expanding since they started about five years ago. They have about 70 aircraft now in their fleet. They uh, have are starting. They serve about 40 different airports every few weeks. They add another airport with some daily service, like Pittsburgh or Kansas City or Anchorage, in recent weeks. And and so now they've uh, finished a 1.5 billion dollar expansion or construction of a new sortation facility with expanded ramp and parking area for freighters at. Uh, Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky Airport, which you said is kind of right on the border there. So they've been operating from there, just, you know, flights, uh, some of these cargo flights for their network. But now they have a full sortation hub. So now they can do more hub and spoke, um, hub and spoke kind of transport of packages, which should help get, uh, you know, support the service one day, you know, next day delivery for the prime customers. And so this is kind of a big deal. It's kind of the sort of, it's kind of a similar scale or, or smaller scale of what you see with FedEx and UPS in, in Memphis and in Louisville. Now they've kind of got a similar operation to a certain extent. So Eric, it's always kind of been a keeping up with the Joneses in terms of Amazon. They set the trend and other people follow suit. Other shippers and e-commerce really try to ride that, ride that wave. Is this something that's a little bit too much for other people to kind of mimic and follow suit? Or do you see this potentially being something else that someone else might try to fall into that lane as well? I mean, you know, I don't, you know, there's not too many people, you know, there's lots of small uh, air cargo carriers. There's lots of mom and pop trucking companies. You know, the barriers of entry are low. So we're an integrated logistics hub and spoke parcel network um, where you control, you know, all the volume from door to door as UPS, FedEx, DHL, and, you know, now Amazon do that. That takes a lot of capital and a lot of infrastructure. So I don't, I don't think we'll see people getting into that game necessarily, but you have a lot of airlines and, that are, you know, being hired or helping out as contractors to 
Amazon to to run their fleet because they don't fly their own planes. So that in that regard, they're a little different than UPS and FedEx. So, but there's a lot of a lot of these uh, you know all cargo carriers that are underlying contractors to Amazon, and you see growth with those guys adding aircraft and uh, trying to support Amazon as well as some of the other uh, express carriers. Yeah, you're uh, exactly right, Eric. Spending twenty billion dollars per year for uh, half a decade, not exactly something most uh, companies can do. Eric, last question. I mean, this is a stipulation, of course, but how much closer do you think this opening up of this facility in particular brings Amazon to a potential, you know, uh, dusting off of the old AWS playbook, eventually opening up some of their capacity to non-Amazon.com transactions? Does this bring them any closer? I mean, I think it does. Um, analysts seem to think that that's a possibility. We'll have to see when they actually if and when they actually pull the trigger on doing that, you know, they um, already do some, there's Amazon uh, fulfillment by Amazon, but to bring in, you know, third party shippers and and run their logistics or ship for them. um, This, this increases that possibility because now they have this central hub. It's within five to 10 hours trucking distance of a lot of uh, the country. And so, um, and they might have, as long as they have extra capacity, they build up their network and they have extra capacity, they can outsource uh, or allow other people to outsource to them some of their logistics. So um, it definitely increases that possibility. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eric. One, one last note before Eric gets out in his article. Uh, he quoted uh, some a DePaul University study that said this new hub will support 50 flights per day by the year's end, up from 28 flights prior to the expansion. But eventually we'll have the capacity to handle 200 flights per day. So this is going to be a huge facility. Eric, thanks so much for taking time out of your birthday to join us today on Great Quarter, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, guys. All righty, have a good one. All right, let's uh, let's shift gears to you, Karen. Now we've got about seven minutes here. Let's see how many we can get through. The first one, of course, we've got some econ data. So first one is retail sales. So maybe uh, the first one where retail sales, so uh, that is inflation-adjusted retail sales. I'll come back uh, to that here in a moment, but um, maybe the first time that retail sales where the Delta impact may be a little bit apparent here. Uh, this is, of course, seasonally adjusted data. We'll talk a little bit about what those seasonal adjustments are and uh, how it's not incorporating inflation. But in any case, uh, the seasonally adjusted non-inflation adjusted retail sales fell 1.1% from June. That's worse than the Dow Jones estimate of 0.3%, but it does follow an upwardly revised June number up uh, 0.7%. So, Anthony, uh, you care or not nah about retail sales in July? I'm going to go with a big nah on this one. Um, of course, in June. So, we do the Daily Watch Outlook. Um, so, in that one I put in the last most recent week was that we we're expecting some mild results for retail sales. Only because what we saw last month was, of course, Amazon Prime Day, a lot of other e-commerce holidays. So, that's going to be a tough act to follow to see what's going to happen on the repeating month to really kind of match that type of activity that happened in June is really a tough ask. What we did see, though, impressively, because we're getting into those parts of year-over-year comps where it was very aggressive one year ago. So looking at that year-over-year results, still very much positive, showing that the consumer is still very much active. I think consumer stamina is definitely going to be put to the test, as we were talking about previously on other shows towards the very end of the year, of course, without any kind of stimulus any kind of extended programs like that put in place, how much can you really spend? How deep are you going to go into your savings? And how much are you going to push those credit cards? If I know my Americans like I think I do, it's going to be very much. But I think this is definitely going to be a true test as the last three months of the year. Um, I, will, I will say I agree with you that now I don't care about, I don't care about retail sales the way that this is represented falling, yeah. uh, right? Because 
as you said, still really strong year over year, up 15.8% non-adjusted for inflation. If we do adjust for inflation, we're up about 6.1% over last year and up 17.1% over 2019. We can toss that uh, inflation-adjusted charts. This is from um, economist Jason Miller from uh, Michigan State University. So he's charted here using the Bureau of Economic Analysis um, deflator. Again, not a perfect way to adjust for inflation, but it does give us at least some basis here. So chaining this, and I think uh, $2,015, but in any case, um, still really strong. So only down 0.2% from June to July. Um, and you know, August is usually really strong. And you know, so we're expecting to see strong back-to-school sales. Walmart, on their earnings call this morning, said that they're seeing strong back-to-school, not seeing any impact from Delta, at least thus far. And you are correct. Year-over-year comps are about to get much more difficult. But yeah. the, the two-year comps are looking really good. I mean, still up 15% non-adjusted, 17% up unadjusted. And as we kind of mentioned earlier, the labor market is still chugging along. Um, unemployment rate down to 5.4%. Got initial jobless claims coming in at a pandemic yeah. low last week or tied for a pandemic low. 1.3 million more jobs open than we have unemployed labor force. Um, one thing to note, we, we still haven't found a bottom in online spending, down 3.1% mm. from June to July. That is seasonally adjusted, non-inflation adjusted. But there still hasn't found a bottom. Like yeah. we, we still see uh, people going out and shopping. And there's, you know, we've been wondering what that, what that end curve is for the percentage of total retail sales spent online. And it still hasn't found the bottom. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good takeaway. It's going to be one to watch for the next few months here. All right, so uh, we'll go quickly here on these last couple. So we saw industrial production also got that this morning, and it was pretty strong report, rose 0.9%. That is ahead of the Dow Jones estimate of 0.5%, but it was largely due to a burst in vehicle output. So Anthony, yeah. uh, you care or not about industrial production rising 0.9%? I do, I do. Um, this was another one that we were expecting in the overview or the outlook for our daily watch. If you're on that mailing list, if not, get on it. But uh, when we look at our flatbed outbound tender rejection index, we've seen that moderating trend and uh, that that the, those tender rejections. And so that was telling us that there's still a lot of activity still happening. And we even saw it kind of start to take up in the most recent week or so. And so showing us that there's still a lot of momentum. I think you're going to talk about this a little bit later if we have time. But new orders, still very much strong. Backlog, still very much strong. There's a lot of momentum going on here. And within manufacturing, I'm seeing and expecting right now that there's going to be momentum for continued growth within manufacturing, and there's going to be an easing into 2025. I'm sorry, 2022. Damn, That's boy. a long forecast. <laughs> <laughs> into 2022, um, but I don't, I don't see a hard landing in 2022. Um, just going to be continued growth and expansion. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in between on this one. I think I'll say I care. Um, it rose so rose at our fastest rate since March industrial yeah. production, but it was uh, almost all from autos. If you exclude yeah. autos, industrial production I think rose 0.1 percent. Uh, from June to July. So I got, I wrote a little good news, bad news for this one. Good news is, you know, manufacturing keeps rising, activity keeps pushing forward despite all of the bottlenecks, all of the raw materials bottlenecks, all the uh, logistics bottlenecks, the labor, everything. Uh, the bad news is that, you know, this month's a huge gain was basically due to automotive manufacturers not taking their summer months off where yeah. they typically kind of ha have a lull here. Um, but again, this is something to monitor. The, the good news here is that production is still growing. That is what we need. All right, so uh, quickly on warehouse employment, we'll just kind of note on this one. So warehouse employment reached a new high after a, kind of a months-long dip. I've got a chart here from the Fred showing it. Uh, there were 1.44 million workers in the warehouse and storage industry in July, according to preliminary data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This surpassed the previous record set last November, and it's third consecutive month of employment growth in the sector. And I guess the kind of the, the, the discussion here is that 
Um, we think back to Prologis Q2 earnings report that we saw a couple weeks ago, and they said that 30% of their new leases that they were signed were for digitally native e-commerce companies. That means fulfillment centers, not distribution centers. And what fulfillment centers mean is way more people picking and packing. And you might have uh, more robotics in there, but you're going to have way more people rather than forklifts. You have, might have 100 dudes driving around in, a, in forklifts in a DC. You're going to have hundreds of people picking and packing orders yeah. in e-commerce fulfillment, uh, just trying to get those packages sorted and ready to go out. So you're just seeing that uh, in warehouse employment. I think you're going to continue to see warehouse employment. Also, you have just retailers and warehouse operators beefing up ahead of what should be a really, really strong holiday season. All right, so one last chart for you. So uh, this is kind of what Anthony was discussing earlier, just on new orders uh, for the production, uh, so for manufacturing production. This is uh, an incredible chart. Uh, it, it more or less shows that we have uh, orders far outpacing our invoices, which just got this massive backlog growing yeah. right now on industrial production. Anthony, you have any thoughts? Just when you see this chart, what comes to mind? Definitely. That that's really going to support the expectation of manufacturing continuing its trend into 2025. So even if we see some moderation, which I expect, I think we've seen the peak and the, the acceleration for production and manufacturing, but it's going to stay high. Like we've seen in the, our volumes, our VOTVI and all those other ones, it's been moderating, but it's remaining high despite what's going on with tender rejections. And that's a whole nother conversation in, of itself, in and of itself. But definitely um, excited about this one. Kind of rather that, though. Like one of the big big things from Wall Street has been that uh, we pulled forward too much growth over the yeah. past year. And we don't want to pull forward too much growth. We want to make steady, uh, steady and sustainable growth. And exactly. I think that is what we're seeing on manufacturing. All right, that's been it for episode 82, jam-packed. Until the very last second, we will see you again next week, same time, 3 o'clock Eastern. See ya. <laughs>